Welcome to the podcast. Today, it is Pat and Stu in for Glenn. He's uh, not feeling well, called in this morning. So we stepped in in the clutch and we gave you the greatest single podcast that has ever been heard. Yeah, that's true. Wouldn't you agree? On short notice, too. On short notice. On short notice. We, this is what we do. We yeah. stepped in and we exactly. we carried the ball down the field across the end uh, across the uh, goal the line into mm-hmm. the end zone, and we have achieved something that I don't think most people would believe. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of great stuff on the show today. We talk, we do talk about the Raphael Warnock thing. Uh, he's going to be a senator. We'll go into the details of that and why and what we can do going forward. Children are having nightmares about climate change because of the propaganda that is being taught to them at school. And The Office, the show, couldn't even exist today. One of the big stars of The Office says, no, couldn't. Uh, so we'll get into that as well. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. And take a minute to subscribe to this podcast as well as Stu Does America, available every day, as well as Pat Gray Unleashed, both of them available for free on this podcast platform. Go over there, click subscribe right now. Also want to tell you, StuDoesPowerHour.com is the place to go to check out the Power Hour we have going on this Friday. If you don't know what that is, it's a lot of fun and you will have a great a great time viewing it uh, or you can even come to the studio I think you can give that a shot as well I don't know if we have any tickets left but you can try that Stu Does America uh, it's uh, studospowerhour.com and don't forget it's Christmas time uh, impress every holiday gathering that you might attend with Kexi cookies they're available mm. right now they have incredible holiday flavors I will tell you these are my favorite cookies in the whole wide world uh, and I'm not just saying that because Pat uh, is uh, involved in the company even though I mean, re- in reality what does he actually do I mean, nothing. He, he well, talks nothing. about them. You that talk about true. them and you eat them. That's basically your right. involvement in this company. But your wife, fortunately, exists. Yes. So, K-E-K-S-I dot com, dot com. Yep. Great holiday cookie gift. You got to have these things. All right, here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. So I want to bring in uh, Bayard Winthrop. Uh, this is a really interesting conversation. I can't wait to talk to you, Bayard. Th- th- thanks so much for coming in, by the way. Thanks for having me. Uh, you flew in from San Francisco. Last night. Did they <laughs> Did they make you, do you have to have a passport now to get into Texas? Yet. No, 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 it's still a still free flight. <laughs> <laughs> good, that's good to hear. Uh, you run American Giant. Uh, this is a company we've talked about for a while here on the on the show, and we've you know uh, been really impressed. I, as just a selfish person, just really like your hoodies. Uh, so that's uh, that's something totally separate uh, from what you do. But you you run a company, and you uh, you manufacture clothing, and this used to be sort of a foundational part of America. It was something that right. uh, I don't know. It's how the country was built. And more and more as we go on, we hear all the time, you can't do it anymore. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You can't have, um, you can't make your clothes and source everything in America and all those difficult steps. You can't have Americans build, make the clothes, certainly, because it's impossible. Yet you, you seem to do it. First of all, how do you do it? Uh, and secondly, why did you think that was important? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's easy to forget now, but 40 years ago, about 95%, more than 95% of the clothes that we bought were made in in, uh, in America, which is hard to believe today because the numbers almost flipped. Yeah. And, and in, in some ways, as you're sort of mentioning, it, it, that's the trajectory of manufacturing generally, that we've we have deprioritized the making of things in the U.S. over the last 40 years. And, and 
I've been involved in manufacturing consumer products for most of my career. And if you spend enough time doing that, and I too sort of participated in a lot of the offshoring stuff, and you do it, and, and eventually, I think two things begin to become really clear. One is you get really disconnected from the product you make. And, mm. and that, I think, particularly for me, translated into um, a lack of uh, uh, proximity to it, stewardship about it, um, intimacy about the product that we were making, and, and that was super important to me. But just as importantly, you see the, the, the factories and the towns that you're leaving. And my point of view is that that's happened too much over the last 40 years, that, that there's a lot of communities, urban and rural, that need good, viable, dignified jobs. And um, we've made a decision to shift too much of that stuff overseas. And, and I, I felt we could do something about it in, in apparel. It was, it was a relatively <clears throat> easy thing to, to reshore and to, and to make domestically. And so I decided it's something I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't know if it would be a big business or not, but I knew it was the kind of business that I wanted to run. So made that decision about 10 years ago and started the company. It's interesting because I think over the last couple of years, we have learned way too much about your business. I don't want to know. I don't want right. to know that much about your business. I want other people to do that. Right. Like I, I've got enough to worry about in my life, but we've learned so much about supply chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhat infamously, I bought a car in August 2021 that just showed up a few weeks ago. Right, It was for over 14 months yeah. waiting for a car to show up. I think one of the interesting parts about trying to manufacture something here in America is not just what might happen to your employees. Mm-hmm. It goes down the line. Mm-hmm. Like these, this, this sort of stuff affects people all over the country in all sorts of different lines of yep. work. How, how do you? How do you? When you? When you step back, how do you think about that? Well, it, what's interesting about what you just said is is that you know I think as we've become disconnected from the people and the places that make things, you really do begin to take for granted. Uh, what it, all the skill and talent and complexity that goes into the making of the things that we consume. Um, and it, my feeling is that we have gotten to a place where we order something online, it arrives on our doorstep a couple of days later, and, and when that breaks, that highly complicated supply chain breaks, uh, bad things happen. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that there's, there is the, to me, there is a, a real importance with reconnecting us back to how we make things and what goes into making a car or a sweatshirt for that matter. Um, they're complicated things. They, they're, and and, the, and the, the symphony of activity that has to come together to make that happen is remarkable. And to me, there's an importance of having a lot of that back and closer to consumers so they understand uh, what goes into making those things and uh, the position we've gotten ourselves in with this highly complicated, really fragile supply chain that's got us dependent on, you know, borders and tankers and oceans and and uh, and international relationships that all get pretty difficult when things don't go precisely as planned yeah you know I, we were just talking about the Tuttle twins books a second mm-hmm. ago and and uh, they have one about I pencil the huh. famous uh, economic mm-hmm. uh, essay and it, it it's basically the story of how a pencil gets made and yep. it sounds like the yeah. most boring right. pencil right. who cares right. but so many people have right. to be able to do so many things yeah. to make that happen yeah. the, the symphony is a really good yeah. word to describe it yeah i mean the pencil the, the the paint the metal the 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 wood the graphite all the things that are required to go into that right and um you know i, I we've got a privilege as a company to to be around that all the time and it does it, i don't know i just there's something very satisfying about you know reconnecting with the fact that the american workforce and capability is alive and well 
um, we've just sort of abandoned it in a lot of ways by by just chasing you know what we call internally cheap and cheapest means of production, um, lowest regulations wherever we possibly can. And in some ways, that's the great irony, right? That we, as a as a country, we've put in place so many fantastic principles about human rights and worker safety and and minimum wage laws and all these things that protect workers and celebrate workers, and yet we let our largest brands skirt those and and go overseas and 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 chase the cheapest means of production with the lowest the lowest regulations. And that's a that's that balance has got to get corrected, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it not only affects Americans, it it affects people overseas as well. I mean, China is a good example of this, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen, you know, from a geopolitical sense, all the effects that have gone on with China over the over the past few years. Uh, And, you know, know, with COVID and and all of these other things that have gone on. Um, But the manufacturing piece of this is really important, right? We we are sending almost all of our manufacturing Mm -hmm. to China and India Mm -hmm. and they don't have standards for their workers. Mm-hmm. We see how they treat their own people. Mm-hmm. Is there a part that we should really be rethinking here, not even just from a, a global competition sense, but just from a humanitarian sense? I, I think so. It kind of comes down to, you know, whether we believe our values are, are truly universal values or not. And, and I think there is an inconsistency with holding domestic manufacturing businesses to very high standards, but then allowing all the uh, the work for those factories uh, chase uh, the means of production elsewhere, and you know, I think the, you know the, the 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 case the case for globalization is a pretty obvious and elegant one if your optimization is around growing shareholder value and and hitting quarterly earnings reports. It's a lot less clear if you think about constituents beyond just your your quarterly earnings statements, and if you think about um, brands that live through their values, that uh, that employ Americans, that transfer good skills down throughout their their workforce. So uh, I, I think there's a big conversation to have there. I think that we, you know, there's a fascinating thing happening now with textiles in Xinjiang, which is the far uh, western province in China that grows almost all of the Chinese cotton. There's awful things going on there with minority Muslims and forced mm-hmm. labor and. Um, and it's just a good example of apples in the middle of this with their with their the things that are going on with Foxconn. That a good example of businesses that are trying to strike this uncomfortable balance with what they're Instagramming about um, versus the way that they're actually making the things that they sell. Right. And I think those you know that's that's an that is an uncomfortable place to be. And I think that we've all got a role to play, right? I mean, consumers have a role to play, brands have a role to play, policymakers have a role to play. But I, I do think we need to come together a little bit and have the conversation around what do we care about. And to, to the extent that we care about it a lot, do we want to apply those standards universally, both to the, the you know our supply chain decisions, our, our trade agreements, our, our what our consumers have access to and understand? Yeah. So I do think it's something that we need to start to think about more thoroughly. We are sort of told that this supply chain thing is not over, that we're going to be facing delays. And this is just kind of our new normal. This is how we're going. This is how it's going to be in America. Now, maybe we should learn to be more like Europe and just ex- expect delays all the time. First of all, I mean, is is that what you're seeing out there? And is that the right way to look at this? Should we just be accepting this new normal? Yeah, I hope not. I mean, you know, it's a good, it's a good, that's a good pitch for uh, American manufacturing, right? I mean, we've actually been lucky enough to navigate. So we make most of the stuff we make are t-shirts and sweatshirts. That's the bulk of our line. We make blue jeans, we make flannel shirts, make other things. Almost all of that comes through a southeastern supply chain, Carolinas, uh, and that that area from cotton all the way through. 
Um, so for almost all of the pandemic, we've been able to navigate our supply chain stuff without a hitch. And that's not just proximity and not having to deal with challenges of overseas COVID restrictions and other things. Uh, it's also that we've got deep relationships with the, the supply chain that we work with. And mm. so uh, we were able to work in real concert with our yarn providers and our, our knitters and our, our spinners and our dyers. And so it's been, you know, I think that's a, a good example of, of some of the importance of having a onshore capability across the manufacturing sector so that you're not so exposed internationally to the, 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 uh, the breaks that are inevitably going to continue to come, in my opinion. Yeah, I, it's, it's understandable. And I think it, there's, a, there's that weird line that I think we all have to walk here because, you know, look, I, I have some sympathy for these companies when they say, hey, like – we can't pay American workers what you know, what the new you know minimum wage is even here in the United States. We we can go over there. We can save eighty percent. People need cheap clothing, and they need to be able to. And I understand some of that. I have sympathy for uh, at, at some level, but like you can't just abandon the American way of doing things. Mm-hmm. How do you get to a point where you can pay? I mean, you, you guys pay your employees a, a good wage, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're told that that's just not possible. How do you do that and still make a, a company work? Yeah, so it's sort of an incomplete conversation, right? And so I get asked a lot about minimum wage jobs and how I think about minimum wage, and and my response to that basically is it's, it's an incomplete question. We all we mm-hmm. all want to pay American workers as much as we possibly can, right? I mean that that's the objective. We all want people to be living good, dignified lives with good incomes. But if at one point we are we are enacting uh, minimum wage laws and raising minimum wages at the same time that we're saying let's all uh, the manufacturers the customers of that manufacturing jobs go overseas and avoid those minimum wage jobs, all we're doing is penalizing a domestic workforce ultimately. And so I, I think the way you do it is that you begin to think about trading partners through the lens of of people that share our values. You know, there's there's the current administration talking a little bit about this concept of friend shoring, which is in some ways a carry forward from the Trump administration about about doing business with business with countries that share our values and not doing business with countries that don't. You know, if you think about the American marketplace, it's the most, it's the biggest, most valuable marketplace on earth. And yet the cost of entry to it is basically zero. We, we allow everybody to participate in our, in our marketplace. And I think that we ought to ask the question whether that's the right thing to do. And if you make it so that it is a bit diff- more difficult to avoid what I think are basic American values in your manufacturing choices, uh, you're going you're gonna to encourage reshoring in a way that is going to address the labor question that you're getting at, I think, really effectively. Talking to Byard Winthrop, uh, he is the uh, he's the big the big wig. What's your official title over there? Uh, owner, found, he, yeah. founder, I guess. Ah, you got the big one. The big, <laughs> founder's the best one to have. I think that's the best one to have. Uh, the uh, of American Giant, a great clothing company. If you don't know them, if you've never had one of, the, I mean, look, you're, it's around Christmas, a great time to uh, pick up something from American Giant. Um, and it, I think as you kind of hear as we talk, you have a different perspective on the on the country than I think a lot of these big companies do. Um, is it? How much of this has to be? Because I, I am a. We come in here every day and we talk about issues and and things that really matter to us. And what I think a lot of people uh, engage with is, you know, you have these beliefs about the the country, the foundations, the 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 this that this is a special place. It's an exceptional place. But putting that into practice, really living that life is really hard. Mm-hmm. What do you say to a company that's on the fence here, that's thinking like, hey, maybe I'll pull some of my manufacturing back to the United States. What going? You're the one who's experienced this. What do you say to them? Well, it, it, yeah. So I think a couple of sort of just sort of framing reactions to that. One is for public companies, it's really hard 
because public mm. companies are, are in the cycle, like a lot of our elected officials, where they're thinking very short term. They're thinking quarter to quarter to quarter. And quarter mm. to quarter to quarter, increases in, in labor rates or the cost of thread matters a ton. And so it's a, it's a tall ask for public companies. Private companies, it's a different matter. And I think to, the, to those companies, I think um, it, to the extent that they can start and begin to use uh, American labor for small parts of uh, their offerings in, across the manufacturing sector, it has a huge impact. We had the benefit in some ways that 10 years ago when I started American Giant, I, I made a decision that we were going to make it all domestically. And that was kind of that was the framework that I lived within. And so that made every decision that followed pretty easy. It became about how do we do that as well and as effectively as we can. Um, for companies that have that used to be domestically made, like basically all apparel companies, and they now have offshore to reshore again, I think there's a there's a perception that the American workforce and manufacturing capability is is not there. That's wrong. There's a tremendous mm-hmm. amount, even in textiles, which has been hard, hit the hardest about offshoring. There's a tremendous amount of viability within textiles, um, and it's a big part of what that industry is lacking are customers that commit to it. And so, if you had big brands that said, "Look, we're, we're going to be here. We're going to order our line of T-shirts or our line of V-neck T-shirts, some small piece, but we're going to stick to it for a while." Um, that would be a huge boon to manufacturers because these businesses need that reliability. So I think that that's what I would say is try it. Try it with socks. Try it with T-shirts. Try it with something. Um, give the supply chain a shot. Be a part of the solution, right? Your customers will give you credit for it. They'll mm-hmm. appreciate it. Um, but it's a more complicated question for the for the public companies, I think. And, and, and that's not to say that I think a lot of them are interested in, in being a force for good. But it's just we've created a system that makes it harder to do that. And so um, – I think we've got to look at other ways to create space for those businesses to make better decisions. Hmm. Um, we got about a, a minute and a half left here. What's your level of optimism for America? I'm pretty optimistic. Really? I, I have I have trouble with this I, I am. So, so I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. but, but here's why I'm optimistic. Huh. I, I think that there is a growing sense among just the just average Americans that are feeling frustrated with what's going on in D.C. I feel like they're frustrated with what's going on with tech. They're frustrated with what's going on with, with a lot of the big, in our case, big apparel brands that are making decisions that seem to be self-serving and they're less about the country and less about the average Americans. And I think as people gather their voice and they make decisions about directing their dollars towards things that they care about, they get more active during the election cycles, uh, I think you're going to see a change. And I, I share some of your pessimism, but it's short-term pessimism for me. It's long-term optimism. I, I just believe in the country, and I believe in our ability. When we're when we're seeing something that we think is nonsense, we eventually throw it out and start fresh. And so I think it's going to take a bit of patience, but I'm feeling optimistic about it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I I think you know when I really think about it from a grand you know yeah. grand scheme here, like I think in the grand at the end of the day, it, it's a great country. It's still a lot of the great things happen. We've, you know, changed the world, right? That's right. So there's a lot to be optimistic about, but yeah. then I read the news. And so I need to stop doing that. No more news for me. And maybe keep some context around it. Yes. You know, remember that, you know, remember history, remember the Civil War, remember JFK, remember all the yeah. things we've been through that have been so difficult. And this one seems pretty rough, but I do believe that average Americans eventually get fed up enough to act. And I think that's what is required. I think it's happening right now. I think there's just increasing activity going on that I'm. I'm excited about, and I think uh, I think in, in a weird way, COVID has kind of jarred us all out of our slumber a little bit, and got us thinking about more complex issues that are relevant to Americans. And I think people are, are getting conscious about it. So it's yeah. <laughs> very true. Byron Winthrop, uh, he's American Giant founder and CEO. You can go uh, check out all their stuff at American-Giant.com. If people are looking for like the uh, the last minute holiday, well, I guess last minute holiday gift here, what's 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 the go to? Well, we're, we're we're known for our sweatshirts, so we it was called mm-hmm. the greatest hoodie ever made, and that's probably the easiest one. So. <laughs> 
is too. I have one. It's awesome. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's great, and it's made by Americans in America. Like uh, this is actually a, this is not like a, a new Avatar sequel. This is real. This yeah. is actually happening. North and South Carolina. Uh, very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, Byard Winthrop. It's American-Giant.com. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. Thank really you. Appreciate, you. appreciate you having me. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. Pat and Stu for Glenn today, who's not uh, feeling well. Hopefully, he'll be back tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, he needs to get his rough greens in. Uh, yeah. Apparently, he's not right, taking that's enough. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you get, you get all the probiotics and yeah. the antioxidants and all that. <laughs> I don't know why need. he's not. He's just not eating enough, apparently, <laughs> when it comes to the rough greens. We'll get him his nutrients. Uh, yeah, hopefully, we'll be back that. tomorrow. Yeah. Got to fix that. Uh, amidst all the rightful focus on government censorship and election interference, another big story is brewing at the Supreme Court. Uh, the justices heard oral arguments the other day uh, in a case centering on web de- uh, web designer who has religious objections to making websites for same-sex couples. This comes up over and over again in Colorado because essentially they're they're trying to persecute Christians for their beliefs. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is all about an agenda, not about actually designing a website. Of course not. Because there's a million people you can turn to and they'll design your website. No problem at all. Is it... Controversial to say, to step back a, a, a minute from even that point and say, you don't need a website for your wedding. I know you think you do. You don't. I, this is, I, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Uh-huh. You don't need what? a website okay, for your wedding. I could get married. Yes. And in, in fact, I did. Uh, right. Did you have a website? In 1985, <laughs> I did not have a website. Really? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is a little weird. In 85, I think it was much more normal to have websites for your wedding. But now, (laughs) it just seems a little bit over. Look, post some pictures on your Facebook page or whatever. I got it. You know, you got Instagram? Throw them on there. Mm -hmm. You don't need... That's probably not the point they're making at the Supreme Court, but I just want people to know (laughs) they don't (laughs) need need a website for their wedding. Okay, you should have told these guys that that a long time ago. We solved the whole thing. Yeah. And we we just wouldn't have this issue at the Supreme Court right now, right? Like, and I I do think there is part of that point that is really germane to this case, yeah. Which is you can make an argument like you need food, right? So if you mm-hmm. want to have these conversations about a lunch counter, we've obviously talked about this before in the past. You shouldn't be able to say, "Well, I'm not going to serve eggs to you because you're black." And we all understand that that is a completely ridiculous, you know, position. No no place should ever do that. But like when we're talking about a a service that honestly can you even make an argument that you need it? <laughs> I can't I can't come up with an argument that it's a necessary like it should, to me there's a better argument to go to the supreme court and say we shouldn't allow people to make wedding websites like i think we mm-hmm. i think we should delete the entire industry <laughs> if there is one so like i mean it is though i think important when you talk about this when you're talking about art when you're talking about something like a, a cupcake when you're talking about a a wedding cake when you're talking about a wedding venue these are not life or death matters this is not mm-hmm. whether you can get water into your home right right like th- yeah, these are right. totally different things and there yeah. should be a completely different standard for them and by the way with the cake maker um 
Jack Phillips. Yeah. He's been persecuted almost out of business mm-hmm. uh, since what? I don't know. It's been probably 10 years. It's yep. been a long time. Uh, first of all, he had the same sex couple that wanted the cake and, and he didn't want to make it and they tried to force him to. And then they came along and, and it was another one. It was a, uh, I don't know, a trans issue, I think, the second time. And they knew full well that the guy had these religious convictions, but they specifically went after him. Targeted him. Yeah, they targeted him and they're just persecuting him now and and that's the that's the part of this it's it, the, the process is the punishment and the sad thing is the supreme court has not yet made a broad enough ruling mm-hmm. that will prevent the religious persecution of this poor guy yeah we were just talking off the air and i was like you know I, i'm pretty confident in this because roberts <laughs> it's it, he's terrible but the, actually in this one it's one of his better issues i think that yeah. is true however he is responsible as well for making these rulings so narrow. The, the, Stop the, it. The Jack Phillips thing is a great example of that. Phillips won. Yeah, he won. He won. But it was... It should be over already. It was not enough. But they made it super narrow so that mm-hmm. the they could continue to bring these cases forward and continue to ruin people's businesses and lives over and over and over and over again. And that's what's going on now in the Supreme Court with this woman who wants to design wedding websites for some unknown reason. Uh, yeah, like it's just one of these things where they are same situation. They know obviously that what they're doing, they're mm-hmm. targeting someone with with Christian values that they know won't want to do this, so they can harass them and harass them and harass them and ruin their lives. Because even if she wins, her life is largely destroyed. Her business is is on the edge mm-hmm. um, if it's not completely destroyed. And. Even if the even if the end result is not a good one for the left, they get to you know run someone through the ringer. And this, though, I think is going to be the time. I hope where they come with a really broad ruling that shows hope that this so. stuff is ridiculous and should yeah. not continue. These laws should be thrown out. And it's like we're all against discrimination. I'm against a company who mm-hmm. would say you know who would discriminate against someone and not sell them something. But like part of this is just recognizing that sometimes the country sort of sucks. It's a great country. Yeah. Sometimes people don't do the things you want them to do. I know it's surprising yeah. to hear. Yeah, it is shocking. It's shocking. A lot of people are shocked by it. And Colorado has a law now that protects same-sex couples or trans people uh, because of their status. What isn't protected, according to the lawyers for Colorado, for the state of Colorado, is religious liberty because it it doesn't have status. Mm-hmm. Wait, What? I mean, you're going against the U.S. Constitution there. Yeah. So I think this time they really need to rule on the merits of the Constitution and the First Amendment and and end yeah. this torment. Make this of religious broad. people shoot this down. It's, yeah. it's, it's insane. It's got to stop. You know the because there's really double protection here. You can't compel someone to say something that they don't believe. You can't compel. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was thinking about this example. You know, with the Kanye West thing that's that's going on right now. Let's say Kanye West gets to the point in his career, very maybe very very soon, where his entire business is customizing wraps for birthday parties and events. <laughs> like you go to Kanye's uh, birthdaywraps.com, and Kanye will work your name into a wrap. Because given his career arc, that's probably where this ends up pretty soon. <laughs> and let's just say that's going on. Mm-hmm. And then a Jewish person comes to him and says, hey, can you do my bar mitzvah? You know, can you give me a song for that? Should Kanye West have to do that? We all uh, agree that his, his views are terrible on this and, and, and abhorrent. 
No, but you should but, be able to pick and choose what you do in your business. Sh- you shouldn't have to say something that. praising Jewish ceremony. Let right? he, the he, free market work that out. Exactly. And you know what? You go to somebody else. Right. And everyone realizes if they, there's, you could go on, what's that site? Uh, Fiverr.com, which has a, you know, like a bunch of people who are independent doing things all around the world, uh, you know, for uh, as little as $5. That's how they started. And so you could have them build you a website. They, You can get someone to voice over your podcast. You can get someone to design, uh, you know, to do audio editing for you, video editing, whatever it is. All this is available to everybody. They will never ask a question about your uh, your marriage situation. They won't take a stance. There's thousands to choose from, and that's just one website. You can go to a bunch of other freelancer sites. You can go to another local person. Everyone knows this has nothing to do with the website. It's about mm-hmm. targeting religious views for destruction. That's what it is. How do we destroy people's closely held views on religion and and you know you don't even have to agree with those views as i said with kanye west he is pre- he is protected by the constitution to not have to de- to issue compelled speech you can't force him to say something he doesn't agree with you can you oh. can you know abandon you can make him uh, just, you can destroy his career by not you know frequenting his business mm-hmm. you can complain about it loudly you can say all these things about Kanye West that are really bad you can use your freedom of speech to to criticize him mm-hmm. but you can't make him say he hearts Jews because he doesn't <laughs> and uh, maybe well, he says he mm-hmm. does I guess on that one he does say I love the Jews and I love the Nazis <laughs> not not a great point Mm-mm. but the point is uh, that you you can't even there, right, Pat? That is not necessarily a religious view, though I maybe there he believes it is. But like, even if you're just like, you know what, I you shouldn't have to be able to go to a, a conservative and force them to say that they like liberals. Same the way the opposite side. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to do with religion. And you're protected by the Constitution there. Add on the religious aspect, which is also protected by the Constitution, two mm-hmm. separate <clears throat> areas of the constitution that specifically protect this sort of behavior and this is what the 10th time we've gone through this charade at least it's insane at least uh and you know it's just the just the practical application of uh the free market should deal with this Mm -hmm. if if you don't want to serve somebody in your restaurant you shouldn't have to and it used to be you didn't have to uh, the signs that <clears throat> used to say no shirt, no shoes, no service. Okay. I, and then a lot of times underneath, parenthetically, it was like, we reserve the right to refuse service to anybody. Yeah. Well, you certainly can't do that now. Right. You can't refuse service to anybody. Um, apparently. But if you did, let's say you just, you, you had a thing where no minority could come and eat at your restaurant. Well, let the free market run them out of business by you know when that gets around in the community i'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people who object to that and don't go frequent that restaurant that's how you take care of it right if you're a libertarian that's how you take care of it and that's how just let the market work and you don't need to be a libertarian that's just american yeah it is right you know and and but it's to, not anymore. Not, not a, they want to change that. They yeah. want to change the foundations of our country. But those, those foundations exist. That's the brilliance of capitalism. Yep. 
It solved these problems. This all started, you know, a million years ago, almost, um, with tribes that mm-hmm. were trying to figure out how to not kill each other every time they needed something. If one tribe had one resource and the other tribe didn't, they needed to get that resource. And the way human beings dealt with that problem for a long, long time was to attack. They would take their weapons and they would go attack the other tribe and take the stuff they needed. That's how it worked (laughs) for a long time. Right. And then trade bubbled up. And trade Mm -hmm. became uh, the, the way that both parties could get what they wanted. One party had one resource, one party had the other. They would swap, and everybody was happy. Mm -hmm. And then currency came along to make that exchange much, much more smooth. And capitalism bloomed from there, and it it created a situation. I mean, you can really argue that the basis of capitalism, why it exists completely, is for you to do business with people you don't like. Everyone can do business with their friends. That's easy, right? It's easy to be able to find your political allies and the people you hang out with, you could trade something that you have to a relative fairly easily. The reason why capitalism exists is so you can go into a restaurant and you have some hardcore Biden supporter who's behind the grill who makes you a good meal anyway. That's the entire system. Mm -hmm. It's the brilliance of the system. And it... We are now at the point where the left, this shouldn't surprise anybody, the left is trying to overturn that. They're trying to make it known, like, no, actually, you have to agree with all my political viewpoints for you to even have a business. They're trying to Mm -hmm. fundamentally chip away at what built this country. That should surprise none of us, but it is going on all the time. And if if we allow this to continue especially when you're attacking religion, it's another fundamental value here. Multiple multiple pillars of this country under attack at the same time. It's a really important case in the Supreme Court right now. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Um, Representative Catherine Clark, incoming House Minority Whip, claimed on Sunday that one of her kids awakened from nightmares over climate change. Do we have that? I think we... I think we have that uh, But they've clip. also given us a model to become our own leaders. And let me tell you what it means to, to me coming in as a different generation. I remember my middle child waking up with nightmares mm-hmm. over concern around climate change. <laughs> I mean, if that's true, whose fault is that? Right? It, hers, probably. Mm-hmm. The I, the school she was sending him to the the fact that they get that propaganda at school every day of their lives and the fear mongering that has been done by the left has freaked children out. I mean, totally. if that's true that she actually had nightmares about climate, I think it. I, I, I don't think know it if probably it's true is. in her case. Of course, I but don't know. It's probably true for a lot of kids. My, um, Michael Schellenberger talked about this. You know, he wrote a book called Apocalypse Never, which is right. a great book. I know you've talked to him love about it. it as well. Yeah, it's I love an it. Awesome book. And he, you know, he's a big time environmentalist. He was uh, no, very liberal. Won all sorts of awards for his mm-hmm. environmental leadership and activism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kept looking at this and then eventually got to the point where he said, wait a minute, a lot of this stuff isn't true. Here's what is true. And he has great, like, if you care about mm-hmm. the climate at all, I, I can't recommend that book enough. But I asked him, like, well, why'd you write it? 
like it's got to be hard, right? To go through you, you have this reputation built yeah. as a and as an environmentalist. You have all these friends on that side of the aisle. Yep. Why write a book that tells the truth about climate change and puts things in perspective? Why would you do that? Good and question. His answer was that his daughter's friends. He saw what was going on with his daughter's friends, and his hmm. daughter's friends were literally, as he as he pointed out terrified of climate change they were convinced well, they've been told they're good it's yeah the earth is gonna last for 10 years they were convinced that's how they would die oh man and Jeez. so like imagine mm, what that is doing to a teenage girl who's already right. gone dealing with god only knows what right you know uh, he, he's like you know I, I of course talked to my daughter about it and so she was not uh, down that road but a lot of her friends were and if you think about just the life of a t- you know, the t- the teenage uh, life of a teenage girl is is not not there's a lot going on there right like you know high school and boys and you know all mm-hmm. the other stuff that goes on trying mm-hmm. to to make it through that era for every kid boy or girl is difficult you know add on the Greta Thunberg approach we're all going to die from climate change. We should all be acting right now. This mm-hmm. is the most terrible thing that could ever happen. Oh my God, people are dying all over the place. And then the media not only takes Greta Thunberg and uh, and, and takes her claims seriously, but promotes her so that she is yeah. influencing generations of other kids to be As terrified. As if she's some kind of expert. Right. Yeah, she she's nothing. not. There's nothing about this. Yeah. And she's a right. kid, kid with lots of issues. The family has tons of issues. You put this, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, we put, you put someone like that in the spotlight and you're risking all sorts of things. And she's done real damage right, to, to, to kids. Kids believe this stuff now. Well, the damage was originally done to her and mm-hmm. now she's doing it to others. Yep. Because it was her parents who got her off on this freak train to begin with. Oh, yeah. I think it was the second show I did on Studios America. The show's been going on for three years now, by the way. Mm-hmm. Three years of Studios America. And the, I think it was the second episode of the show was about Greta's uh, parents. And <laughs> just really... went through. First of all, there's some really funny stuff. And it's a weird cast of characters. <laughs> Let's put I'll it that bet. Way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they did. They put, they put their kids. We put her, you know, who's she obviously has emotional problems, right? Like, yeah. the, I mean, she has emotional yeah. and. Plus, isn't she. She's uh, she's all sorts of struggles. Yeah, you know when yeah. it comes to just day to day life. Autistic, maybe, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't remember all mm-hmm. the details of it, but I, I you know she's dealing with a lot. And to, to put her in this to, to to praise this idiocy that she's talking about and bringing to the the public. And mm-hmm. now like, there's kind of been this movement. Okay, all right, we're all we're all set. I guess we're all set now with the Greta thing. You know, she hasn't been getting all the press lately. I don't know if you've noticed this. She seems to be fading away. She's getting too old. She's no longer the cute little kid. Mm -hmm. Now she's like, you know, a a teenager they want to ignore. She's been critical of some of the wrong people, right? Like, you know, she, look, she legitimately believes she's going to die from this. This is real to her. Yes. And so the, when, when the, the power players in the Democratic Party and on the left, use her they use her to win elections to get control of the economy for all of these other reasons mm-hmm. she really believes it of course she was a child so she probably believed lots of other things that weren't true but she believes it 
So now she's started to criticize people on the left, and now now they don't want to promote her anymore, and they don't want her in front of <laughs> uh, front of the cameras <clears throat> as much. But they're not doing what she thinks needs to be done, right. and that's stopping all like CO two legitimately and just stopping the economy stop in its tracks economy and, and stop industry. She and and when people say like, hey. Uh, we can we can build solar panels and that will grow our economy. And she correctly calls that out as nonsense. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. If you want to do it's this, not enough. We got to shut down the economy Everything. completely. And, and yeah, there's yeah. going to be lots of economic pain, but we need to, or yeah. else I'm going to die. Right. Is her point. Now she's not correct about the conclusion there, but she's correct that you can't do it the way this happy-go-lucky way that left promotes. Ah, we'll just create some new jobs. We'll just make social solar panels here. Everyone will have clean energy. Go out and buy an electric car. It's no big deal. And what's amazing is that sometimes they admit that. Yeah. Sometimes they say, "Yeah, the Paris Accords." It's just all symbolic. Wait, what? <laughs> you want everybody to abide by the Paris Accords, but it was all symbolic? Yeah, that won't that won't be enough. Oh. Uh, okay, well, what will be enough? Shutting down our, our society. That's what the end goal is of this. Just to bring the United States of America to its knees so that everybody else in the world can catch up to it. That's the only way they'll catch up to us is if we shut everything down. Right. Because uh, we're too far ahead of them. It's legitimately what they want to happen. I mean, look, it this is. is a bigger movement than as everybody on earth freaking knows. It's, this is not about... It's not about the, uh, the the climate. I mean, the Elon Musk is the ultimate example of this. They said forever we have to go to electric cars. Mm-hmm. They said we must go to electric cars. We have to. It's going. It's the greatest existential threat we've ever seen in our entire lives. This is. We, we absolutely must do this at any cost. Mm-hmm. It's a, we are all going to die. Millions of people are going to die in Bangladesh. If we don't do something about this. And then he said, you know, maybe we should have free speech. You're like, this guy's the devil. <laughs> yeah, sure. He built the electric car company. That's a, and he's building spaceships to escape the, the, uh, escape the planet in case global warming really hits us. And he's building, uh, you know, a technology that can help uh, AI that would help scrub the atmosphere of carbon. And all of these incredible projects he's working on. But he said conservatives should be able to tweet that they like low taxes, so he's Satan. I mean, has there ever been a more clear example? They don't care about the climate at all. None of this means anything to them. It's all BS. And especially since they know full good and well, just like we do, that the electric car, by the way, is not an answer for our problems. The electric car... With all the mining you have to do, with all of the preparation to build the car, right. with everything that comes together and that stinking battery that's in the car, worse for the environment than carbon-oriented cars. I mean, it is not the answer. No. I mean, I should, At all. I should tweet this, at Studios America, if you want to follow it. I'll tweet it later <laughs> on today. But there's a... I, I, I watched a TED Talk from an environmentalist. And, you know, TED Talks are you can always get into them you know mm-hmm. i don't care what the topic is so i clicked on it and the guy's talking about electric cars and i'm like oh this will be interesting let's see what he has to I say think I, I saw this too yeah i like mm-hmm. watching sometimes the other you, know, you want to watch the other side you understand what mm-hmm. their arguments are are they good are they bad what's the evidence they have and but he was surprising this one went the this, other way yeah, yeah. he was yep. like you know what actually it's not time for electric cars we're not ready for them <laughs> yeah. uh and he goes through They're harmful to the environment he shows the details on it and i 
depending on, you know, there's a bunch of different variables he outlines, but it's something like over 100,000 miles of driving an electric car before you even break even. And that's if you have, if you're fine driving a, an electric car that only goes, you know, 120 miles, which most people aren't. I mean, most mm-hmm. people don't want, to, they want a longer range one, like some of the cool cars that Elon Musk has built uh, can go a lot farther than that and certainly very fast. Yep. And, you know, you go down that road and you're, you, you never, you never make it up. And the electric, the, the, the regular, his point eventually he gets to is like, I think for the environment, hybrids are a good answer. He's like, I think hybrids are much better for our the, mm-hmm. the amount of technology okay. we have right now yeah. because you can save some, but still make it you know useful for people, and you don't have the cost of all the batteries. You you have a much smaller amount of battery. Right, they, those two technologies are a together. big deal. Yeah, it's, it's a, a big, big deal. problem. Yeah, but like you know, it is true. There has been tons of research on this at this point, and it's it's kind of a j- joke, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a joke. Honestly, yeah. and the, if you believe this, it, seriously, they've been telling us this is the most important thing in the world for decades. And the guy comes along with his own money and builds a company <laughs> that, that does 30, 40 years of advancement in this field mm-hmm. without them really having to touch it other than some generous government subsidies that were involved. We should know, but still, he did most of, the, most of this work himself. And the he said, I want to keep my company open during COVID and I don't really like masks. And they're like, holy crap, this guy's Satan. We should, we should excommunicate him from society. Wait, and they're trying to. They're trying to. They really are. It's, it's amazing to watch. And to this representative who talks about the nightmares of her middle child, uh, I love the Joe Bastardi response on Twitter. If this is true, then it's because someone is guilty of child abuse. Given life has never been better on planet Earth, tell your middle child we're in a climate optimum with one one hundred twelfth the amount of death per capita from climate as 1930. I love that. I mean, people don't Mm. people have no idea about these statistics. They just buy what is sold to them all the time uh, by the left. Thank God and fossil fuels, he said. And that is, I mean, so true and so accurate. And we've talked about it. You know, people don't, people aren't starving on this planet the way they once were when it was a little bit colder on this planet because it's warm enough to grow more food, which seems kind of like a good thing uh, to some people. Na, 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 na.